This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 358, March the 6th, 1996. In this session, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, and Mark Rushdoony and I will discuss crime and the state. We have a problem today in that we are being reassured constantly that things are really getting better. The economy is better, the crime scene uh, is much better, and so on and on, and yet most people think otherwise. For example, the U.S. News and World Report for March 4, 1996 has a long article on a bad case of the blues. And it goes on to say, people think the nation is unraveling. It's no wonder. A look at a week's worth of TV news would make anybody a hearty pessimist. And they go on to cite what they consider is nonsense. Uh, These things, that the economy is stagnating or in decline, the federal deficit has increased in the past three years, Crime increased in 1995. Religion is losing its influence. Children are worse off today than when their parents were kids. Air quality is worse than 20 years ago. The elderly are more likely to live in poverty today than 20 years ago. Well, perhaps the last two uh, are not true, but contrary to what they say, There's no reason to believe they're right in saying that those premises are wrong. Crime has increased. We don't count as much crime because you can go to the police or to the DA with a case involving theft and they're not interested in handling it. They're too busy. They can't take every case. Moreover, Even the U.S. News and World Report article admits that crime among teenagers and those in their 20s is increasing. Well, theft of property has been downgraded by law enforcement agencies all over the country, except for one glaring exception, and that's the automobile. And that's only because the banks who own them put the pressure on the law enforcement agencies to track stolen vehicles uh, because they you know they lose a lot of money when these vehicles get stolen because people stop making the payments on them and also the insurance companies take a hit so that's the only exception to where uh, law enforcement now will make any effort to uh, either recover property or or attempt to stop the theft of the property you're right Douglas and I read just a few days ago that uh, before long, cars will be uh, manufactured, uh, computerized, so that no one who doesn't know the code can start the car. And they hope this will stop car thefts. Well, in most areas, crime has increased. But this isn't all, and what concerns me especially is that in recent years, or let us say from 1970, 25 years, we have had a number of books written by highly competent 
and trustworthy men who have stated that various agencies of state here and abroad have involved themselves in criminal activities. That the most common thing that various agencies of state here and abroad have involved themselves in is narcotics. That they fight it when it is not under their control. The goal is this, as has been openly stated a time or two, more and more groups, intelligence agencies and various other agencies now have a way of creating their own funds if the state taxes are insufficient. They can go out and seize properties for a variety of reasons and apparently the Supreme Court is going to or has just backed them in that. I don't have the details. But this means they can grow enormously wealthy. Three million Americans as of a year ago had lost their properties when they had committed no crime. Three million families that's a staggering thing when you think it's their farms, their houses, their automobiles, their bank accounts. But they were innocent. Now, this is a terrifying fact. It is increasing. A very responsible authority, uh, Claire Sterling, who just died uh, a few weeks ago, has, uh, for example, in uh, Thieves' World, the threat of the new global network of organized crime, written that uh, the ability of three or four characters to mount a planet-wide operation, their extraordinary impa impact on what was still a world superpower, and their singular immunity from beginning to end suggests the guiding hand of not just one, but several intelligence agencies. Every secret service has its own private agenda, usually incomprehensible to any but its adversaries in the game. Whether Eastern or Western, they all use criminals to serve their ends, in the drug trade, the arms trade, the laundering business, the manipulation of international politics. And she says here it doesn't make any difference whether it's the KGB or a Western group. They're in the same game together. And in her book, Octopus, uh, she deals with the same subject in passing and points out how some of the most powerful groups seem to have an immunity. For example, this statement, Western Intelligence Services learned of Kintex and the arms drug exchange in 1970, but never lifted a finger to stop it. Both sides had an urgent interest in the arms, whether to sell them as purely commercial proposition, to get them secretly to a chosen destination, or to gather intelligence through the circuit. 
to go after the drug runners in the same circuit was to disrupt the whole covert operation. By and large, nobody went after them. Now, as I say, entire books have been written on this subject. I simply do not have the competence to evaluate them all. But very obviously, such a link is existing. Claire Sterling makes an interesting comment on why this is happening. Why all over the world and in every country among people highly advanced and people who are still on uh, a very backward level technologically, you have the same unwillingness to confront this problem. And uh, she said, it's because there are too many empty suits behind imposing desks. By empty suits, she means people who are not going to stick their necks out or do anything. So we have an ugly situation where step by step we are going down the drain and I do not believe it can be reversed by politics. It'll have to take a Christian revival of staggering dimensions to alter the situation. Well, I, I often wonder uh, if uh, there's much regenerative capability left uh, in our society. You take a look at uh, election results and the attitudes of people. The people are so buffaloed. Uh, there's so much anger. There's so much confusion. Uh, you have to conclude that uh, it used to be that countries would propagandize each other. Now we have governments that propagandize their own people. Yes. And probably the United States is the leading practitioner of this. We are lied to by the government uh, routinely uh, about facts such as the rate of inflation, for instance. They make an art of it. Uh, yes. Any company, uh, any corporation that cooked the books like the U.S. government does in order to make themselves look better uh, to the shareholders, assuming the citizens are the shareholders of the federal government, um, uh, would be would go to prison, mm -hmm. and yet nothing happens. Yes, people just you know they hear these numbers night after night on television, the rate of inflation, the rate of inflation, but yet when they go to the store, uh, they've got uh, uh, too much month left at the end of their paycheck. So uh, you know the realization uh, seems to be coming very very slowly, but uh, it's uh, I hope it's coming. Yeah. It's also the problem of uh, an extension of what constitutes crime. All sorts of new agencies are created, regulatory agencies, and there are all sorts of laws. Oh, that is such an evil phenomenon. The multiplication of laws is just in a society. Everything is a crime. Exactly. And boy, there was the numbers of the case, especially as Mark was alluding to earlier in the 70s, Rush, when you... Uh, uh, testified in a number of uh, court trials, church-state trials, when uh, there was a severe criminal problem, and yet parents of children who 
um, enrolled those children in Christian schools were uh, assaulted legally for truancy. And those things happen all the time. I know of Christian businessmen who, and I won't mention the specific regulatory agencies, let your mind grow wild, you know some mm-hmm. of them, that say they just can't do anything. They're constantly receiving notices and warnings over just stupid, silly, unconscionable regulations. And so all this talk, whether uh, Republicans or Democrats, about passing a crime bill, that's just that's just a farce. It's an aspirin tablet. Absolutely. For those people who are frustrated and demand that something be done, something is done, but it's never effective. It never solves the problem. They right. never find the culprit. Yeah, so it's it's a sham game. That's right. Well, I've noticed an interesting thing in my lifetime. The more people are controlled, the less crime is. Crime right. is not controlled. Right. It gets bolder and bolder as the people are harassed and chained. Mm-hmm. So the solution is not adding more police officers. Mm-hmm. That's no. what's so foolish in these crime bills and the bans on you know various weapons and that sort of thing. And, well, it reminds me of Cotton Mather's. Uh, I think it was Cotton Mather who wrote something to the effect, and this is a paraphrase that we shouldn't give any more power to a man than we care to have him exercise because exercise that he will and if you look in society at the general moral tone of our society we see a lot we don't like and that's exactly the moral quality of the men in government and well, the more evil a society yeah. the more evil a government you're going to have this is the reason that uh, people especially in election year have to guard themselves very carefully not to be uh, uh, perhaps form uh, a false uh, expectations <laughs> And uh, they they tend to get themselves whipped up into a frenzy, and they think that the guy on the white horse is going to come along and save them. And and uh, any guy that comes along and voices their frustrations has automatically got to be on their side. But after <laughs> after so long a period of time of having these individuals uh, mouth these promises and then do exactly the opposite after they're elected, you would think that after some period of time people would wise up. But they never, they all seem to fall for the con game, time yes, after time right. after Good time. Point. Yeah, it took us many years to get into this mess, and to have messianic expectations mm-hmm. that one man will be able to reverse this is just totally wrong. Rush is right. We need a a revival, a biblical revival yes. of uh, mammoth proportions. Uh, we cannot change this piecemeal. It's got to be. Uh, Truly revolutionary. I, I don't know who said it. It's not original with me, but somebody said that politics is a giant cesspool. Only the scum floats to the top. <laughs> well, there are changes, though. People are mm-hmm. getting, uh, they're beginning to blame government for a lot of the mess, and they're beginning to have contempt for government. Rather than saying the government should do something, they say it's all of their faults. And uh, there's disgust with the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And generally, there's people don't trust their government anymore. And they don't have confidence in it. And that's a big change in the last 20 years. They're both finished. And they're both dead on arrival, but they don't know it yet. So there's going to be a change on the horizon. We're not sure what form it's going to take. But I think there's going to be some changes down the road. I agree. Yeah, there's there's going to have to be a change. There's no question about that. And that's why people who are so-called outsiders or at least perceived outsiders. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how these politicians now get rid of their coat and tie and they want to put on their plaid shirts and go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me get that grease on my hand. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Let me kiss that baby with jam on his face. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think that itself is telling and a, and a testimony to what Mark is, uh, what Mark's talking about. There is, uh, really, uh, a reaction against civil government and centralized mm-hmm. civil government. And that, that goes good. But we have to replace it with what Rush was talking about. Mm-hmm. Self-government. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't, have- we don't want to replace secular civil government. With big Christian civil government, people make a great, no, and they accuse no. us Christian Reconstructionists of holding that, and we do not hold that. No, uh, we want to decentralize. Yeah, and, and, uh, and to to add to Mark's comment that uh, people have to take responsibility for themselves. They can't shove the responsibility right. off on the government. Absolutely, and nothing else works. You that's know, right. if, as a practical matter, nothing else works. I mean, it's been proven in so many places. And for such a long period of time, the conclusion is inescapable. That's right. Well, people have a slave mentality, and people like that, they will uh, have a civil government that will enslave them. Mm-hmm. And uh, until they get back to godly self-government, and a family government, a church government, school government, vocational government, other private government, then civil government, centralized civil government, will increase in size. But Mark's right. I think there's a reaction against that. Well, another way of saying it is when people abdicate self-responsibility, government is more than willing to step Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Whenever there's a vacuum, civil yep. government will jump right in. That's exactly right. Well, that's why we've got to put restraints on it. And the founders knew that. That's why they had created an elaborate system, if you read the Federalist Papers, of checks and balances. They weren't all Christian men, but they certainly were influenced by a Christian ethos. And that is a biblical idea. Well, they knew they were creating a monster. They, they, the best they could hope for was an impotent monster. That's right. But they knew they, they had experience with England, yeah. of course, and they knew what it was going to be yeah. like. So they were not ignorant men. They, they knew exactly what needed to be and done. And nothing has changed. You know, that's that's right. what people need to understand. Nothing has changed. They think, well, all that's passe. What those guys did back in seventeen hundreds is all passe. Uh-huh. Nothing has changed. That's right. Man's basic nature has not changed. And they had a peculiar insight into human nature that is largely lacking today. And I wish that many of our mm-hmm. politicians and political philosophers today would go back and read those writings and take them much yeah. more seriously. The, you know, the clothes have changed, the speech has changed, but man's basic nature has not changed. And people right. have got to understand that. That's right. Well... One of the things uh, that I found especially interesting in uh, Paris Sterling's book, which I believe was her last one, Thieves' Wall, The Threat of the New Global Network of Organized Crime. It came out in 1994. She speaks of the Chechens of Chechenia and... Uh, they have their own army of 600 killers in Moscow. They are the uh, enforcers, the killers for the international mafia. And she says, natives of a self-proclaimed sovereign enclave in the northern Caucasus, population 700,000, they are the most notorious and versatile of all Russia's mafiosa at home and abroad. They are, by the way, Turks. There are many Chechen gangs, not necessarily friendly to one another, but uniformly vicious and assured a perfect sanctuary in their tiny mountain republic. Upon declaring its independence, its president, General Zakhar Dudayev, opened its prison gates, let everybody out, and closed the prisons down. 
The Chechens are hated and feared in Moscow, but cannot be dislodged. Their swaggering toughs are also taking over the streets in Berlin, Warsaw, Prague, stealing cars in Germany, Austria, and Sweden, running drugs into Western Europe, working fraud and currency scams in the U.S. Wild, cruel, and impenetrably secretive, they are singularly frightening villains. Chechen gangs do almost anything imaginable that is illegal, starting with protection. Now, you cannot get the truth about the Chechens anywhere. They're a very vicious and dangerous people. The Russians are fighting them because if they don't get rid of the Chechens, they're gone. The Chechens are running the Russian economy have made it a tool of their criminal activities. But uh, why aren't we telling the truth? Claire Sterling, Sterling did. And of course, none will say that the Chechens are Turks. They are a Turkish people with Turkish morality and Turkish hatred of everything that is Christian. So, we have them treated as though they were martyrs and the most sentimental kind of thing is put on television and uh, we have protested to uh, Moscow about their mistreatment of the Chechens. They're fighting to save their country from these illegal criminal gangs of Chechens. Why do we not tell the truth? Is it because we don't want to face up to the truth about them here and any and all criminal activities here and abroad? It's a really scary scenario. Well, every Mercedes-Benz and every BMW has been stolen and shipped in cargo containers uh, to Russia that you see driving around in the streets of Moscow. None of those cars were purchased. They don't have pink slips over there. They don't have Department of Motor Vehicles as, as the gun that's in the guy's waistband. Because the possession is ten-tenths. Probably they're operated mostly by Chechens. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking that the American government has been guilty of collusion. I recall a book that I read, I didn't get to finish it, uh, written a number of years ago called The Pledge Betrayed, talking about how that Churchill, after World War II, as well as the United States, another book along the same line, swooped into Eastern Europe and Germany uh, and picked up a lot of the scientists and various other... Of course, this is well documented. Those that had performed all sorts of evil experiments and uh, brought them back to the United States. But um, this has happened quite frequently with, of course, the Central Intelligence Agency, the several events last year, collusion with sin, uh, and with uh, evil dictators and that sort of thing, that eventually, God will judge that, and he is judging it. We won't get away with that sin. I used to be confused when I was in my 20s. I could never figure out why the United States was always on the wrong side. I mean, can't we tell the good guys from the bad guys? Yeah. And I finally came to the re- realization when I was 40, is that we're on the, good, the, the bad guys' side on purpose, not yeah. by accident. Yeah. As I recall, someone who was a part of the American embassy in the capital of Af- 
of Afghanistan. And he finally quit and came back to go into college or university teaching. He had been a professor before he left. And he told me, he said, it dawned upon me while I was still over there that if in all the treaties we made with the Soviet Union we were wrong 50% of the time, you'd have to say, well, uh, we've got some learning to do. But he said it has been a hundred percent of the time. He said, I have studied the treaties and trade agreements and whatnot that we have made with the Soviet Union. And in one hundred percent of the case, we were giving away the store. And he said, that cannot be an accident. No. Uh, he was not ready to call himself a conservative, but he was a very disgusted uh, former professor. Yeah, all of those treaties are worked out and they're photo op opportunities for politicians to walk onto the world stage and say, look what I have done. But they're instruments of collusion between governments in order to, to give yes. favors away. You know, we're giving hundreds of, uh, millions of dollars, probably billions, uh, to foreign governments, uh, and they just spit in our face. Yes. So there's no logic to, to giving that to giving the the wealth that's taxed away from the American people. There's no logic to to giving this money away. So there has to be some other reason. That's because they want to keep these regimes alive. Now Rush queried why we don't hear about those things. Of course, part of the problem is the evil in the modern media, which is the secularist to the core. I think immediately about uh, all the tragedy that's going on in the Sudan, and yet we hear nothing about yes. that. We hear about Bosnia, mm -hmm. but very little about what's going on uh, in the Sudan. Uh, several months ago, I faxed information from Peter Hammond to Ted Koppel and uh, didn't hear anything, of course. They don't care about that. It's genocide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's because that Christians are being assaulted, for yes. the most part. Christians are being assaulted, that it's not a matter for... Public uh, discussion. And, well, it's it's and open, when, open season. Yes. When will Peter Hammond's letter be in the uh, report? It will be in the report in the May issue, which we're working on right now. Very good. In fact, it's almost done. Now, very early, going back into the 60s, the estimate was that after independence, the assault on the Christians was so savage that a hundred thousand Christians had been massacred. They haven't changed the figure since then. And yet, every year, Christians are seized and sold into slavery, or they are massacred. It is interesting, of course, that uh, the Christians of the Sudan are almost entirely blacks. The Muslims who are doing the enslaving and murdering are the Arabs. You know, where's Jesse Jackson when you need him? <laughs> yes. That's right. And none of the black leaders in this country mm -hmm. have come out in favor of That's the right. blacks of the Sudan. Absolutely. They have refused when they've been asked Where's to. Jesse Jackson That's and Maxine exactly Waters right. and all these paragons mm -hmm. of virtue when you need them? They're never there. Now they're not interested in race. They're interested in ideology. That's in a right. recent... Uh, article 
in the Reader's Digest, or perhaps a couple of months ago, on the return of uh, slavery to Africa, they commented on the fact that when a prominent black leader, a leader from the U.S. was approached on this, he refused to come to the aid of the blacks or speak for them. He said, that's a local matter. Well, to continue this matter of the relationship of crime to civil government to the state, we should remember what I've often cited, the great and important statement by St. Augustine in the City of God. And he said, to put it in modern language, if any civil government rules without God, it will be no different than a gang of thieves. Because it will be without a morality. It will only seek to plunder. So that, uh, he said, the pirate and the criminal gang will do it on a small scale. The civil government on a great scale. And I believe that the problem today is that Christians are unwilling to understand this. There's a professor of theology who actually feels that uh, it's better not to have a Christian state. He wants a secular humanistic state and then we can all get along peacefully because it's not going to be in favor of anybody which is nonsense. They're going to be in favor of anti-Christianity. We see that today, absolutely. You know whom I'm speaking. I believe so, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I finally came to the realization the only reason the federal government ever ever went after John Gotti or any of the mafia figures was they don't want the competition. You know, it's, it's who's going to be the big guy on the block. Yes, that's precisely correct, Rush. I want to pick up on that point that you were talking about. If we have a secular civil government that will be the religion of course yes. of that government and it will seek to impose That's its right. religious views and secularism of course is much more intolerant than biblical Christianity yes. would ever profess to be That's right. and that's precisely the case we have I think people need to understand that there's no possibility of neutrality in civil government as there's no, no possibility of neutrality in any other sphere of life if it's not Christian it's going to be anti-Christian in one form or another Mm-hmm. You know, I, would, I think another thing we may want to discuss too, as long as we're talking about crime, is the problem of uh, uh, gun control, which is certainly a, uh, a relevant issue. And we were talking about the crime bill and, and that sort of thing. Uh, although, I, from what I understand, I believe the state of California is considering uh, permitting concealed weapons. Is that right, Douglas? It's passed the assembly and uh, comes up before the state senate, really. I think that is an indication of what Mark was talking about, a reaction, again, against this sort of liberal social policy uh, that's quite favorable if, if it goes, if it continues to go in the direction in which it's going. That is this reaction against the popular liberal views. Well, we have a growing problem because the church is given to what Van Til so powerfully condemned. A belief that people can be neutral. 
That's well, they right. cannot be. They will either be for Christ or against Him. That's right. They will be either for uh, righteousness or against it. They cannot straddle the fence. Moral issues cannot be ducked. That's right. There was one lady I heard on a news program talking about a presidential candidate. She says, I don't like the fact that he mixes religion and politics. What she really means is that she doesn't like any attack on her mixing of her religion with politics. And I think that's what people need to recognize. Some sort of religious view will prevail in society because uh, society is inescapably religious. Culture is inescapably religious. The question is whether it's going to be a Christian culture or a non- or anti-Christian culture. Well, I have had in the past arguments with people who believe that... uh, Religion has to be defined in terms of a belief in God or the supernatural. Very few religions believe in God. Humanism is a religion. It does not believe in God. Buddhism is a religion. It does not believe in God. And Confucianism was a philosophy which became a religion, and it does not believe in God. Shintoism does not believe in God. It believes in spirits, which are translated as gods, but everything has a spirit or a god possessing it. And in Japanese culture, you recognize that trees and streams, everything have spirits. Yes. And uh, even the toilet does, the benjokami, <laughs> the spirit of the toilet. But uh, our faith alone is a consistent and truly supernatural religion. Those who are seemingly supernatural among the religions are, without exception, derivative from biblical religion. Uh, Hebraic faith and Christian faith truly believe in a God who transcends the natural order. Now, I don't necessarily say the terms supernatural and natural are uh, the best descriptions, but I use them because everyone understands uh, what they mean. But uh, we are faced with non-theistic religions every day. Absolutely. That's, that's precisely correct. I think Tillich best defined religion when he said religion is ultimate concern. That's right. Whatever is ultimate for you, that is your, what your religion is about. And civil government is forced to borrow Christian premises to maintain order in society. Yes. Um, and if not, there will be absolute destruction and anarchy on the one hand, or absolute statism yes. uh, on the other hand. And they're giving tacit admission of the validity of Christianity when they do that, but they would never explicitly admit that, of course. Yes. That's why Christians are so inclined because they're not sure what they believe they're so inclined to hear listen to any moderate who at election time professes in traditional values and they can't see that those traditional values are just a generic term for i believe in good yeah that's all they really believe in or profess to believe in and they have conditional no no respect for the christian faith and it has no impact on their lives or or their politics but it's every it's all always conditional Mm -hmm. uh gertrude himmelfarb 
in a very uh, important book on the edge of the abyss called attention to the fact that today we no longer talk in public discourse about virtues. That's right. Because virtues point to the Bible, they point to uh, a morality which is supernatural, not of this world. But values, uh, the term they use, uh, refer to things that are man-chosen yes. or man-made. And it's a Nietzschean invention. Yes. yes. And this is what we have in the way of values clarification right. and values education in our public schools, which means, uh, kids, you decide what is good and what is right and wrong, and that's going to be your value system. That's right. And when Christians have tried to appeal to... Uh, a broad spectrum by talking mm-hmm. about family values, it's easy to adapt the language to any yes. philosophy because mm-hmm. everybody believes in some kind of value. Oh, the devil everybody has believes family in families. Yes. So it's easy to talk about family values no matter how destructive your ideas are of the family. And one of the liberal parties did that and it said, uh, we're going to take this issue away from the conservatives. We believe in family values, homosexual family values. Oh yes, we believe in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were talking about that professor. I believe I know who you were talking about. He may have been the one, Rush, who wrote the article in which he said, uh, we don't believe in biblical or Christian government. We believe in good government. Yes. As though there could be a separation between them. That's right. He was very emphatic on that point, both in the article and in uh, speeches he gave. Virulently so. Uh, he was a strong opponent of any idea of wanting to base uh, biblical law wanting to base things rather on so-called natural revelation which of course is a dead end it's interesting that sooner or later he's had to move on to another so-called bible believing school or seminary or college because his thinking is so implicitly humanistic that he trips himself up that's right and he's publicly assaulted uh, you, Rush, and, and Christian oh, Reconstructionists yeah. and and others. And uh, it's sad because there are many evangelicals, uh, Reformed people for that matter, and of course uh, Roman Catholics, various others, all groups, uh, unfortunately, that tend to buy into that idea and look at anybody who wants to take a stand on the explicit authority of the Word of God as a radical or as an extremist. But what is extreme about standing on the Word of God? Yes. Well, uh, in the book I mentioned by Gertrude Himmelfarb on the edge of the abyss, she cites professors who say that to condemn Stalin or anybody else, any tyrant, is moral imperialism. Mm. And it is wrong. In other words... That's the logical conclusion of yes, relativism. Yes. Uh, now... Years ago, a Supreme Court Justice, William Douglas, came to a like conclusion, and he felt that we could not condemn the cannibals because in terms of their culture, their values were authentic. They were sound for them, which means a total moral relativism. Well, when you have that kind of moral relativism, how can you possibly condemn crime? And is this not the reason why increasingly the courts are coming down heavily on the side of the criminal? 
That's right. All Only the popular outrage has caused them to pull in the reins occasionally when the hue and cry becomes too great. I'm amused at this uh, indignation of the Social Security Administration about finding out that criminals on death row have been collecting Social Security for years. And the only reason that they're voicing this indignation is that they don't want to appear as though they're incompetent. These liberal politicians throw up their hands at the increase in crime, and yet they don't realize that it was their political philosophies that, that permitted these things to occur in the first place. Uh, it happens all too frequently. Well, whatever the figures on crime may show, and let us say for the sake of argument that they are right that crime is dropping, which I do not believe for a moment. The fact remains when you have increasingly young and old who do not believe there is an absolute right and wrong, a good and evil, that uh, morals are a matter of opinion. You have to say we are on the brink of the most fearful kind of criminality unless there is a dramatic moral change very soon. That's right. Well, we have a generation coming along which is really scary. Yes. Uh, you got eight, nine, ten-year-old kids committing murder, murder totally without remorse. Uh, you're not just looking at isolated circumstance. You're looking at an entire generation that have been <clears throat> mentally conditioned That's right. uh, to have no remorse. It, right. it's, to them, it's not morally wrong. It's just something that you do. Either it makes you feel good or you acquire some material thing that you want. Uh, it's like has no more significance to them than a baby clutching for a piece of candy. Yes. Uh, there are no consequences They're for only, them. Only doing what they've been taught. That's and exactly right. this generation is uh, is uh, going to be coming to bear here in a few years, and uh, I'm rather concerned that there doesn't appear to be any countervailing force in our society at the present time. Yes. Another factor we can't neglect is our penal system, which mm -hmm. tends to exacerbate the problem. We've gotten away from the biblical idea of restitution, mm -hmm. created an unbiblical prison system. Um, so it's no wonder that uh, when uh, criminals are thrown in there, maybe they're not hardened criminals, they tend to come out hardened criminals. And when you get away from biblical faith, that's precisely what happens. Plus it, uh, it penalizes the people who, uh, the victims, I mean, uh, they suffer, let's say, theft, and then uh, money is stolen from them so that they can pay for the guy to have, or woman, to have cable TV in, uh, in, the, in prison. It's an evil system. It's, it's a lopsided system. It has, uh, you know, forgiveness in the form of uh, light sentences, uh, short parole short periods, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. plea bargaining, etc., cetera, mm. etc., cetera, but it's at the expense of no repentance for the crime. That's right. Uh, there's no remorse, and uh, with the, I don't know of any time in history or any culture in history that has duplicated this and survived. I can't think of any any culture in history that have had um, murders committed by children this young. Yeah. I mean, does anybody here know of any? country or culture or no. people in history that have had kids eight, nine, ten years old committing, throwing, throwing uh, babies out of yes, windows? Yes, that was, I heard, yes, that's right. 
I've never heard of that in any history book I've ever read or any. So, you know, we we have to be unique here and have to recognize that this is a problem unique to our culture and our generation, and it's pretty scary, and we better do something about it. Well, we have given more rights to the criminals than the prison guards have. That's right. This comes from a prison guard. Mm -hmm. On top of that, we have allowed so much license in prison that homosexual rape is so prevalent that it's creating a major problem. I'm glad that this past week television did give an account of uh, how grim that picture is. I know that uh, in institutes over 20 years ago in volume one, I called attention to that problem as a growing one. It's totally out of hand now. Two, you know, there's another point I was thinking about. There's an absolute hatred for retributive justice. Yes. Prison is looked at as a place, well, as originally that is penitentiary, where you go to become penitent, we go, go to where people are to be reformed and that sort of thing. But the Bible doesn't uh, hold that the state should be in the business of doing that. The church and the family should be in the business of doing mm-hmm. that, but not the state. The state is to dispense retributive justice. But since the state wants to be mom and dad, since the state wants to be the church, the state has to make everybody good. And, of course, that's... That's what leads to many of these things. The homosexual rape that's experienced by prisoners in penal institutions now is openly considered by public prosecutors as part of their punishment and tacitly considered part of the punishment by judges. So that's the degradation that our our so-called law enforcement uh, officers have sunk to. Well, that's evil. That is utterly evil. You have to say they are then a part of the same criminal mentality. Absolutely. That's precisely correct. I often think of some of the evil judges who dispense not genuine justice, but their own solipsistic man-centered justice when they have to stand before the one great judge, the sovereign triune God, on that final day of judgment. They will certainly get their comeuppance. They're they're arrogant to the extent that they don't think they're going to have to answer. Yes. Well, they're in for a surprise. I started uh, earlier this evening in, on this subject by discussing uh, Clara Sterling's uh, books. She has uh, quite a number. She was perhaps the most accurate and most highly respected anti-communist writer. She wrote on the Terror Network. She wrote on the KGB. Her books were outstanding in every field she touched on with regard to the international situation. Now, the interesting thing is, as a foreign correspondent, she began dealing with communism. But step by step, she went to the link to crime and the criminal link to intelligence agencies. So that uh, her pilgrimage in terms of the subjects of her books was a very, very important one. She saw as she studied the situation intensely how close the link was. 
Of course, there are those like Anatoly Golitsyn who wrote New Lies for Old at the beginning of the 80s, a former KGB man, who uh, predicted everything that has happened in the Soviet Union and has since written another work in which he states that the goal of the uh, U.S. and the Soviet Union and of all these other states is convergence. We're going to act more and more democratic for one reason. Uh We're all going to converge into this new world order. And, of course, that new world order will be also a criminal world order. That's right. It's frightening how many of our politicians, even in this country, so uh, blithely support that idea. And when anybody stands up and says, we need to put our country first and protect our country, he's looked upon as being a radical or an extremist or that sort of thing. That's really frightening. Yes. We have to remember, too, that when the Hebrew people demanded a king, they were they were told what that would mean, and they were told that the kings would abuse their rights. That's right. The kings would have a very harsh rule. The price of the strength of having a king, they were going to have to pay a very, very stiff price. Yes. And that's true in any form of government. You pay a heavy, heavy price. And for too long in this country, when we had a relatively Christian populace, um, we taught that democracy would solve all problems and that the, the ability of the people to vote was, would, would be perpetually a way to have good government. And yet, representative government is only good if you have a government that's representative of a moral and a Christian that's right. people. Absolutely. And democracy is actually, I say democratic government, a representative government. Representative government, uh, when you have massive amounts of people voting, is actually an almost impossible type of government to reform because it means you have to completely uh, re-educate, mm-hmm. reform uh, an entire populace yes. because uh, an evil people in a democratic system becomes itself a form of self-judgment. As the Tocqueville says, then you have the tyranny of the majority. That's right. I have been asked over and over again by bewildered uh, people, whether in the media or not, but, but don't you people believe in democracy? I uh, said, so that's not something to believe in. It's not like God. That's right. And uh, <laughs> a form of government is no better than the people in it. That's right. So the most perfect form will be destroyed if you have an evil people. I believe in God and I believe in His Word. If you have evil people, democracy can in some ways be the most dangerous form of government because mm-hmm. it may be easier to depose one evil man or, or uh, aristocracy, but how do you depose an entire group of the entire nation when they're evil? Anything can become a tyranny. Yes, or anything apart from God. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mark Twain, who wasn't at all a Christian, he had his own ideas. Uh, about government and and uh, such, but he he once had a good line. He said the only perfect government would be a divine despotism. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is interesting how in the last century and into this century there were a number of humorists, especially in the last century, who made fun 
of Washington and of civil government. The last of them, and he made fun up to a point, was Will Rogers. But some of the men of the last century were uh, very good at evoking laughter at the powers that be in Washington and the State House. That kind of thinking is now not common. Uh, what's his name? Russell on PBS does it to a slight degree, but he's basically uh, pro-Washington and it's just a little humor and not very uh, profound. And it's presented now as political humor. Yes. You make fun of whoever's yeah. in power now, yeah. but when they're out of office, they're, they're all... They're sort of you don't touch them now. That's right. E even Nixon, they they lay off of Nixon yeah. or, or Carter or Ford. It has become almost icons. Right. Yeah. Well, now you just pick on the, the current the current laugh. You have to on. consider the source. His paycheck comes from National Public Radio. So yes, that's right. Well, our time is almost up. Do any of you want to make a concluding statement? If so, don't hesitate. Well, we have to unlearn slavery. And we yes. have to relearn God's law and take responsibility, uh, individual responsibility for conducting ourselves according to God's law. Otherwise, civilization is lost. Uh, there's, there's just a flat guarantee. Civil government, even Christian civil government, is not the Savior. Only God can save us. Therefore, we need to reorder our individual lives and our families and our churches according to the law of God. Civil government is, as Rush indicated, one government among many, and perhaps in some ways the least important. Well, you'll, we'll always have corrupt government as long as we have powerful government. And so the answer is to take power away from government and put it back in the basic institutions of the family and the individuals. I believe it was Harold J. Berman in his magnificent work, Law and Revolution, who said that if we did not have a return to God's law and the doctrine of the atonement as the basis of law of restitution, in not too many years we would see the collapse of civilization. But we are going to return by the grace of God. Yes. Well, thank you all for listening and God bless you.